0: We're launching a brand new newsletter. 11FS Unfiltered is a fortnightly installment of hard-hitting opinions on all things financial services. Every fortnight, a brutally honest, no-holds-barred take on a hand-picked topic from one of our experts will make its way to your inbox. To hear from some of the brightest minds at 11FS and join the conversation, head to bit.ly forward unfiltered newsletter now.
1: Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Adam Davis and in today's episode we're going to be taking a look about partnerships and the rapidly evolving banking ecosystem. Uh, With the help of fintechs, BAS, third party providers and even M&As, banking uh, as we know it is changing. Partnerships are proving to be the key to unlocking the future uh, of the banking ecosystem uh, we will look like. Uh, to help dive into this topic, I'm joined by some uh, amazing guests. Making his FinTech Insider debut, we've got Jason Wilkinson-Brown, who's the head of partnerships at TSB. Um, thanks so much for joining us, Jason. Much appreciated. Um, can you give us sort of a little bit of a blurb about what you do and your role? and? Um yeah. And uh, how excited you are, obviously, to be on the pod today.
2: <laughs> yeah, thanks. Obviously, absolutely thrilled to be here. So thanks very much for the invite and, there we uh, go. <laughs> and uh, having us along. Um, so I, I do a couple of things at TSB. Um, so I look after our open banking partnerships uh, and propositions team. Um, so on the open banking side, obviously, that's all around um, maintaining our compliance and supporting the um, now hundreds of TPPs who um, uh, connect into our APIs and ecosystem. Um, and doing some stuff there around thinking about what, what we can do around premium APIs and sort of carrying on with that journey. Um, but the other sort of hat is um, I look after partnerships. And and partnerships at TSB really means, you know, how can we partner with some of the, the best and brightest uh, in the ecosystem to offer things to customers that we probably wouldn't otherwise build ourselves? Um, so partnerships is really focused for us at TSB on two parts. So obviously, first of all, how we can do the propositional partnerships and, and launching new things to customers. Um, but actually, it's it's also really important for us that we think about how we can use partnerships to simplify and improve ourselves internally as well. So we focus a lot on productivity partnerships and, and partnering with our big partners like IBM, Infosys, and Cognizant to really drive out some of those efficiencies in the organization.
1: Cool. Um, and we'll get into a lot of the detail on that uh, in a bit. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. Um, next guest, returning to the show, we're joined by Victoria Roberts, who's the Director of FinTech Delivery Panel at TechNation. Um, love having TechNation on whenever they're here. So uh, thanks for joining us, Victoria. Um, again, um, can you take, uh, for those who don't know, uh, can you tell us a little bit about TechNation and then obviously your, your role in with, within the organisation?
3: Uh, Yes, super. And thanks um, for inviting me um, along again today. So Tech Nation is a fantastic group of people driving a growth platform for tech companies and leaders. And our mission is to unlock the growth potential of a thousand scaling tech leadership teams across the UK by 2022. Within that, we run a dedicated uh, FinTech growth programme and we support larger fintechs through our upscale and future 50 initiatives. And where I come in is something called the FinTech Delivery Panel. So this is a um, HM Treasury sponsored initiative where it brings industry together to look at how we can collaborate to really strengthen the UK as a global leader in the future of financial services. Cool. That's awesome. Um, Look forward to getting into that as well. Uh, And last but
1: not least, we also have Keith Gross, who's the head of UK for Plaid um, joining us. Keith, how are you doing?
4: Great. Great. Thanks for having me here, Adam.
1: Uh, It's a pleasure. Again, uh, I'm not sure there's going to be too many people who are listening to this who don't know who Plaid are, but in case there is, uh, do you want to give a a brief intro into uh, Plaid and then your role as, uh, as the head of the UK?
4: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Plaid or or Plaid for the Europeans is an open banking platform supporting financial data and payments. We power 80 percent of the largest fintechs across the UK, Europe, US and Canada. Um, And I think the easiest way to think of us is the easiest way to connect your bank account to an application. And we facilitate that connection. Uh, And I lead the go to market efforts for the team here in the UK and in Europe.
1: Cool. Nice. Um, thanks all for for joining me. Um, the first topic I kind of wanted to talk about, uh, obviously in the uh, in the overarching uh, theme of partnerships, um, was specifically around I guess some of the trends that we're seeing at the moment. Um, I suppose like those those days of uh, should we buy, should we partner, should we procure, etc. And the kind of the um, I guess the the, the fintech banking, uh, you know, loath to co environment that we probably had, you know, sort of six or seven years ago as um, is, is well and truly been been blown wide open. Um, I mean, even last week, I mean, I went through some of the news stories in prep for this show, and even last week, there was about four or five different collaborations between banks and fintechs, big data, uh, sorry, big tech and fintechs, big tech and banks. It was amazing. One that grabbed my headlines was um, was, was Grab themselves and who have done a tie-up in consumer loans over in APAC, but there were so many others, and we'll get to some of those uh, other stories uh, in a bit. Um, I guess, um, as an overarching question to you guys, um, I suppose, what are the trends that we're seeing that I guess is, is shaping the partnerships that we're seeing at the moment? So uh, I'm thinking, um, you know, sort of macro trends in banking. Um, just, you know, off the top of your head, why are we seeing so many partnerships now? And, and what are those partnerships in
4: Keith, I'll go to you. <laughs> I, I can jump straight in there. I, I think there's a few things. One thing is uh, that I've noticed is on the user-facing side, the consumer-facing side, I think there's a race to become the super app. And for anyone that's missing functionality they need to become the super app, it's trying to find the partner that plugs those gaps. So things that used to be nice-to-haves are becoming must-haves. And so you see, I mean, almost every bank offers aggregation as a feature within their banking app now. That wasn't the case even you know, five years ago, let alone 10 years ago. So I think that's one trend that we're seeing. I think the other trend to highlight is people refocusing on their core competency. So you as a company or you as a fintech, what are you actually really good at? And that's what you're building your business around. And then partnering for the things that you might want to do, but they're outside of your core competency. Those both of those sort of follow the same thread. And I've seen those popping up more and more.
1: Yeah, because it's interesting, isn't it? At that that point around focusing on your niche and focusing on your core, really, uh, you know, again, sort of beyond ten years ago, you couldn't do that in a cheap way necessarily. You couldn't do that and make money by distribution in the way that you probably can do now with new technologies. Um, which has really sort of, I suppose, move the needle in terms of partnerships and and uh, areas of your banking ecosystem that you actually might want to outsource or might want to partner with, or if you like, give away for for, for a percentage of revenue. Um, Jason, I'll come to you in terms of uh, obviously sitting in your position at, at TSB. Um, you've got you mentioned it at the beginning. You've got sort of a, a vast amount of partnerships, both sort of big sort of service partners, but then also, I'm sure, sort of small to fintechs. And I guess from your perspective, what benefit do you see in both and um, um, and where uh, where do you get the most value from without sort of naming and shaming, obviously? No, no.
2: <laughs> um, so, so I mean, I mean, for us, uh, if we if we think about it, just from a from a customer perspective at the moment, right? And you know, people listening to this podcast and us people here, we have seen the absolute you know, cataclysmic sort of growth in um, customer expectation and demand over the, the last number of years around what they expect from their bank and particularly what they expect from their bank digitally. Um, and I think, you know, at the same time, um, you know, for anybody who was tried to hire a software engineer in London or any, any other major city, they're increasingly hard to find. So actually the, the customer demand has grown, um, but the delivery pipe you have to deliver those features has, has, has also narrowed. So um, what that means is, um, you know, you then have to start to look, you know, externally. Um, and I think, you know, the, the biggest summary for me is, um, you know, I think, you know, banks have really woken up now to the fact that the, the smartest ideas are no longer inside the room. Um, and therefore actually to meet these, um, new demands and these new ways of driving customer experiences and 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 growing new forms of revenue, we need to we need to partner um, externally. Um, and you know, if I take a moment to talk about you know some of the things TSB are doing, I mean, um, we've um, you know recently um, completed a customer pilot of a of a bill switching partnership with a fintech called AppTap you know i met them through london and partners and they were just four people strong who would grant you know sort of spun off outside of the uh, imperial university so you know um and we've now you know worked with them to um deliver this experience to thousands of customers helping them save on average you know 167 pounds and some of them have saved as much as as much as 300 pounds so you know there's a there's a value there for banks in terms of being able to get those ideas quickly but there's also a real value for customers in terms of you know there are customers there who never thought they would be able to save 300 pounds on their bills uh, and how and how good is it for tsb that we've been able to go to those customers and uh and and and, and, and help them understand that um, so i think that's that's um that's where the real um, value is for banks on the on the um, customer side if i take the second part of your question which obviously is around the the internal thing is that you know, there are just some fantastic innovations that we all know about, you know, if you think about what Jumia have done around identity, if you think around sort of what EasyBob have done around lending as a service and sort of digitizing sort of key, key journeys, you know, working um, with partners such as that, working with um, you know, people who are part of the IBM Cloud and others, you know, you can really start to transform some of the processes in, inside of your organization, you know, which, you know, obviously mean, you know, your bank is simpler and cheaper to run, but that actually then flows through to the customer as well, because, you know, if I'm trying to do a core servicing journey or actually, you know, you know, the tire has just gone on my car and I need to get a small loan to, to do that. then actually, you know, just having these really simple core digital journeys delivered through some of these leading partners, you know, that, that, that reflects through to the customer as well.
1: And Keith, I did want to ask you just off the back of that. Um, uh, the 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 question that's written for me is you know what are the benefits to partners of big banks, et cetera. But what I really want to know, um lifting the hood up, you, you partner with God knows how many banks around the world. Um, and I know there's a stereotypical sort of reputation that, you know, any uh, any fintech that partners with a bank has got to go through sort of a procurement process, of you know, to the nth degree. How much easier, I guess, is that procurement process becoming in organizations that you wouldn't expect it to be easy just because, um, you know, other partners potentially have trailblazed their way through or the concept of a POC and all the risk and the compliance and the legal elements of going out maybe to a smaller subset of customers first before you widen those, widen in the horizons um, have, have already happened. Um, so are you sort of riding the procurement coattails, if you like, of others? or And and, and how have you found that?
4: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'd frame it quite as riding the procurement coattails of others, but we've definitely seen improvements in the processes and speed over time. But I think just as much of that comes from your internal organization building familiarity with that process, right? You're used to What are the stages we're going to go through if you're going through a full procurement process at a tier one bank versus a fintech versus somewhere else? And you can adjust the people you need and the resources you need accordingly. Um, And and I think part of that is you have to build up to that experience. I think what's really hard is if you go from being a three or four person startup to immediately trying to go through that process, you're setting yourself up for a world of pain, like work with startups first, then mid-market, then enterprise, then tier one banks. I do also agree though that with the speed that digital experiences are changing and innovating at most banks, they are adjusting their processes accordingly. It no longer makes sense to go through a 24 month procurement process if you're trying to update and ship features every six months. And so you are seeing improvements there as well in terms of how organizations are steering the ship to make procurement easier, to be able to access some of these services that are API driven and plug those in and have those benefits shipped to users faster.
1: And um, I wonder, uh, Victoria, I'll turn to you now. In terms of um, you, you guys obviously oversee a lot of fintechs, uh, and probably hold the hands of a lot of fintechs trying to get into this ecosystem and sort of um, put the first foot forward and, and hold their hands through that. Uh, I guess for you, what, what, from a fintech perspective, uh, just talking about those companies that might have you know three, four people and are really just trying to sort of you know start their way on this journey. What does a successful partnership to them look like? I mean, distribution obviously is one, but in terms of um, any of the things that you might not think about when you're you're actually starting out, and you you know you go to a company, uh, an
3: organisation like Tech Nation for for help. Um, so I suppose one of the um, key things that we're doing at Tech Nation to help with um partnerships um beyond sort of where we work with individual companies is um the fintech pledge which is um, an initiative that's come out of the fintech delivery panels um work and um back in 2018 the fintech delivery panel published some onboarding guidelines which were supposed to sort of get over some of these points that keith has just mentioned around how do you know as a fintech like what you're going to be asked you might get really excited that you know it looks like they want to work with us but oh my goodness there's now such an onslaught of bureaucracy and paperwork that will <laughs> we ever, ever, ever see this uh, the sort of holy grail of what we're trying to um, to get to. So um, the, uh, the the industry group worked together um, to produce the onboarding guidelines. And that was very much um, a resource for, for fintechs. And I think that's really sort of great in terms of um, sort of getting over some of those um, asymmetrical barriers of information. So they sort of know what to expect. Um, but I think it was right that as, as a group, we didn't stop there. You know, there's still um, a step, I think, then for the institutions to kind of say, OK, just because we sort of mapped it out doesn't mean it always has to quite be, um, be this way. So um, I'm pleased to say that in September 2020, we worked with the five largest banks in the UK to launch the fintech. Pledge, um, which is really rooted in sort of principles of enhanced transparency and um, communication. And in December 2020, we had five new signatories. Um, so uh, Jason, uh, leading uh, leading from TSB, was very welcome to join um, join that commitment, and also um, Nationwide, Atom Bank, Virgin Money, and TSB. So we are now working with um, these ten institutions. Um, and if any others are listening and would like to to join, they'd be extremely <laughs> extremely welcome um to implement um the five key principles to to the pledge so when we talk about the fintech pledge what do we mean um and actually there, there's five key principles so the first one is about providing clear guidance on how the onboarding process works um, through through dedicated online landing page um, then the second principle is around providing clarity to firms on their progress through the process so not only do they know what they'd have to do but as you you know um, that you've got a common understanding of where you are are in the in the process. Um, they also have to provide a named contact who will give guidance and feedback. So that's sort of, I guess, for the individual company. And then the fourth principle is around encouraging good practice and improvement. So this is sort of working together to look at actually, um, you yeah, they've mapped the process, they've shared the process, what, what does it look like in terms of future improvements? And the fifth principle is to implement the pledge within six months of making that um, commitment. So we're on this journey now with the initial institutions, and I know they're very committed to these improvements and are already making a, a lot of changes to both the systems but also the culture in their organisation. So uh, we're looking forward to um, getting the getting the feedback from fintechs as well as to how this is starting to, to change.
1: Yeah, I was going to um, – well, the, the obvious place to go for it, the next question is Jason. Like, I, I suppose um, in terms of um, uh, what's that me- – what, what that's meant for TSB uh, and I'm particularly interested in what Victoria said around uh, the cultural aspect of that um is is that uh a miles away from where you are right now Jay it doesn't sound like it is but it, it, if it is uh or if there's is there significant work to do in order to align your organization to to fulfill those pledges <clears throat>
2: no no so um you know um Obviously, this is a, it's a journey, right? No one says job done and we, we, we leave it and move on. But I think that the reason why we were so big on um, signing up to the fintech pledge actually is I think it, was a, it was a good representation of a lot of the work we'd already done. So, you know, I think sometimes people overlook it, but, you know, we stood up an entirely new sourcing process for fintechs, which meant they didn't have to go through as many of those hurdles that perhaps we would put through a, a larger, um, organization. We, we stood up a standardized new proof of concept agreement. So we weren't putting, you know, hundred two hundred hundred, 200 paid contracts on fintechs desks and saying, you know, right, you know, um, give us, give us your feedback on that. Um, and then, um, you know, I think there's also been a bit more of a, an industry level play. So, um, you know, we use a, an internal tool called Helios. So actually, once you've onboarded with TSB, that data is then available for other banks to then access, which means actually, you know, as a fintech, sort of sort of by onboarding once, you're actually onboarding multiple times. So that should help to speed up the process with some of our peers. Um, so, you know, for us, um, it's both A, a moment in time to celebrate, I think, some of the great work we've done already and, um, you know, um, and, and recognize that, but also, you know, reaffirm the commitment that we have moving forward that actually, you know, this is, a, like I said, a journey, not a sprint. And we want to make sure that, we, you know, we really are one of the best banks
1: in the UK for these companies to partner with. Cool, cool, cool. Um I, I wanted to turn the uh conversation a little bit to just general partnerships sort of, I guess, in the industry that we've seen over the past, well, in 2020. Um 2020 was uh, from a fintech partnership perspective, actually, it kind of exploded, even though – and that might have been a direct uh, or sort of probably more of an indirect, I guess, uh, influence of the pandemic. You guys m- might have your thoughts on, on that as well, um, you know, pressure on revenues and whatever else. Um, but it really was, it was quite something. Um, and I guess uh, there's sort of three or four different areas you can go into this. One of them is uh, the rise of Bass and banking as a service and, and SaaS-based providers. Um, why do you think uh, – Examples of that, you know, there's Stripe with Goldman and City. there's Stripe Treasury with City, Goldman and, and, and God knows who else. Um, there's, you know, uh, there's a whole whole variety. There's Galileo Instant and, and, and all sorts. And um, from your perspectives, in terms of looking at, uh, at Bass, why was it such a big year for that? And why did, I suppose, the attention turn on infrastructure players and then the partnerships they can, that they themselves can have?
4: I, I can jump in there. First. So I think if, if you think about what happened in 2020, you had whole reams of people that hadn't used digital banking or at least weren't digital banking first, forced to use that for the first time. Right. When everyone was working from home, I think my favorite stat that I like to share is in March and April of last year, which is you know right during the, the first wave, the fastest growing segment for PayPal was people over 50 years old. So it's like it's not what you'd expect, but that's people getting onto online banking for the first time. And so when you think about that movement, what's underneath that then is all of these institutions and fintechs and others who are thinking about what are the tools we need to build those experiences. I think that's why you saw such an explosion in interest in B2B infrastructure and banking as a service is because suddenly it was interesting to investors and institutions, hey, who's actually the person powering this feature at this bank or this feature here? And you started to look a layer deeper in a way that I think hadn't happened previously. I think COVID did help accelerate that.
1: Yeah. And I wonder, um, I, I guess, J- Jason, from, from your perspective, is that an interesting space for you right now? So you're in, in, in where you are, because um, a lot of the, the, the BAS providers are um, uh, exp- essentially trying to, I guess, encourage even the banks to open themselves up. Um, and that's definitely the kind of, uh, I, I suppose, the overarching theme, which is, you know, for the things that you used to supply for your customers, can you actually supply them B two B? And I just wonder whether that's something which you uh, you guys have looked at, or whether that's on your on your radar and agenda, and your thoughts around that.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I think um, you know I I I wouldn't say it's 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 an immediate priority for TSB, but I think you know for it's it's something definitely on the radar. You know we're looking very closely at you know sort of what's the next extension of open banking in particular when you start to think around premium APIs, what is, what are some of that connectivity platform to platform that we can offer that can help some of, um, you know, um, some of our small business customers, um, fulfill some of the, fulfill some of the tasks you want to do. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I agree with, I agree with Keith's comments. I think, you know, um, the the, the the pandemic, you know, I think, and the explosion of digital, um, I think, obviously, um, we all know the effects that's had. And I think that's also started to trickle down in some of the B2B space, which has meant, you know, some of the um, key players inside banks and other financial institutions are now starting, starting to think about, okay, where are the other areas that I might need to diversify or move my business into?
1: Yeah, because it's been um, uh, it, it has been a, a pretty crazy year. I, I guess um, Victoria, f- from your perspective uh, on this one, is there a specific um, instance or partnership that you've looked at and thought, "Crikey, that's good"? Or is there anything that sort of influenced what you do at Tech Nation to think, uh, "Actually, we need to you know set up a specific scheme" or "This is kind of an area that we should look into"? Is is, is there been anything on the radar that you thought, "Wow, this is th- th- this is pretty cool"? <laughs>
3: Um oh good question. I mean we're always looking at um sort of what the new uh what the new sort of tech verticals I guess are that we can support a technology. We've, we've talked about, about FinTech from FinTech Insiders, but uh got some exciting things happening around sort of net zero and uh and cyber uh, as well, which will sort of play into the to the financial space too. Um I, I think my my sort of main comment regards um sort of relates to this question sort of the last one as well which is actually I just think speed has been so much of a driver um, for, for some of this and that sort of necessity that Keith was sort of getting back to that increased demand but also the customer demand but also the workforce demand we've suddenly seen so many people sort of working from home I think a lot of these sort of collaborations that we can see in between fintechs and banks it's just the fintech solutions can just enable um, institutions to act so much quicker than they might be, uh, than they might be able to otherwise on a whole range of, um, of Products or offering and um, BAS or or otherwise, and I think COVID has really, really um, accelerated that in in a way that I, I don't think will be reversed in the hopefully not too distant future where uh, this is a this is a bit of a memory.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, d- I did see one partnership. Um, quite recently, which was between uh, JPM Asset Management and Nutmeg, which made me sit up. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And it was the um, that Nutmeg is supplying the fractional shares uh, capability to JPM. And then JPM is sort of putting the servicing layer on top of it. And I looked at that and I thought, wow, that's really, you know, JPM have actively basically made the decision despite all the means and all the money they've got and all that sort of stuff that they're not going to actually invest in building that themselves but you know that there's a partnership there's a, uh, I suppose a win to be had in actually doing the partnership with nutmeg rather than they could definitely have built it but it's an amazing um i thought that was a really interesting one um you know it's kind of they're, they're not doing uh partnerships almost because they need to but they're doing it because they want to and i thought that was um that was a really nice sort of uh cross collab and and uh, uh and partnership that i've certainly seen recently um i guess keith for, from your perspective how um when we talk about partnerships and, and i've been involved on the banking side in procuring partners before there's kind of a i suppose a tiered range of uh you know uh, from a commercial's perspective anyway around um you know, do you just take a percentage of revenue of some, you know, of the partnership? And is that the commercial structure going forward all the way through to actually? Um, integrating your uh you know your capability as a fintech within the banking the bank's capability be that at the back end or, or front end which is exposed to customers um you guys obviously are, are more on the well you actually co- probably cover end to end but uh, do do you see uh, that the benefits for fintechs really is the deeper they can get into the stack the better um insofar as you know the, the more you're integrated into a bank's user journey and a consumer's user journey uh the better commercials you might therefore be because the stickier you become I think
4: that's sort of the, the old trope around it, like get yourself really embedded and then there's more value there. I actually think that's becoming less true. And, and basically the most important thing is to align your incentive model. So uh, I'll take Plaid for instance, right? We, we offer open banking tools via API. We have a usage-based incentive model where we only want our customers to pay us if the product's being used. So it's just the volume that's going through a particular API endpoint in times a usage fee, right? And so that way it's, if the product's not being used and the customer's not seeing value, you're not paying for that. I think regardless of where you fit in the stack and what your model is, aligning it on an incentive where if the user is getting value, you and the partner are getting value, that's going to be the most successful partnership. And I don't think that necessarily means you have to go deeply embedded in the stack or offer financial services. It really does depend on where you fit in there. But if you're aligning that sort of value proposition, where it's very clear, when an end user is getting value from this, the institution is getting value from this, and you're getting value from this, and then you just divide that up. I think those are the best partnerships and the best incentives to have.
1: Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, J- Jason, I wanted to ask about, um, I suppose, the impact on of, of being Big tech—they um, sort of uh, they interject themselves in every conversation we basically have on fintech insiders. I think at some point or another. But from a partnerships perspective, they've been um, it's been again pretty voluminous over, over the course of the last two years. There's obviously Apple and Goldman, which everyone knows with Apple Pay. Uh, there's Google Pay, which was announced relatively recently in sort of Q4 last year, um, and that was uh, via City and then via BBVA as well. There's Amazon who are doing it. There's Amazon, Walmart and Amazon are now doing it with Gold. Sachs there's a whole bunch of you know different big tech players getting involved in more and more in banking services is it um, are we still you know I think certainly when I joined 11FS about two and a half years ago when I was speaking to banks predominantly I'd get asked about big tech and it was a worry is it still a worry now or has their strategy become something which you guys actually can uh, understand and therefore uh, work around if you like or work with even
2: um, I think you know. I think if, if speaking in you know, it from a perspective, pers- pers- I you know, I, I don't think it's um, definitely not a worry now, right? I mean, you look at the neo banks. So, I mean, Starling, Monzo, they're pretty much all hundred percent powered by AWS. For those who um, see that advertised on television, you know, Lloyds signed the big deal with um, Google. Um, I think that I, th- I think I think that was last year. Um, so I think I think you know I think. Everyone is very much in sync um, and, and and aligned as what's going on. I I, I have a, a lingering question in my mind: if the big tech companies have woken up and realised actually that the best way to win at this game is to is to sell to the banks, and uh, rather than sort of um, overtaking them and trying to be, and trying to be a bank themselves. Um, and if if I if I if I, if I digress slightly, because you know. Um, partnerships isn't just big tech and you know, I have a lot of conversations with a lot of small small startups and, 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 and medium sized startups and they say, you know, Jason, how can I how can I get into banks? And I think my, my single biggest advice for a for a fintech uh, who who wants to Progress, you know, quite rapidly into banks, is that there's only a limited number of them on the high street, or there's only a limited number of them globally, and therefore you need to make sure that you're actually thinking about what is your distribution channel, and actually it's perhaps not being, to, you know, going to banks directly, and it's working with the likes of IBM, being part of the IBM cloud, you know, going with others, which actually means for me as a bank, it's far easier for me to sort of switch on a service on or off because um, because they're already integrated into the ecosystem, and therefore it's 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 easier. Um, and for me to offer that service to customers, um, so I think I think it's I think it's a, it's a two-fold step. So yes, um, banks and big tech are definitely more aligned. I think they're clear around where banks are going, and I think that creates then an opportunity for some of the smaller players to then really start to think about how can they uh, you know more easily get their products and services into some of our financial institutions.
1: Yeah, and I mean uh, Keith, I was just going to ask you. I mean, in terms of the, um, the the branding element of that, so if you have a um, you know, a financial services, a fintech, and they are, you know, they're going to partnership potentially, or even a bank, they go into partnership with one of the big tech, is is there a branding recognition part of that, which is important? And I suppose from you guys, your, your perspective, is that something that you guys look to leverage? So I, I think
4: brand is important when you think about it longitudinally, right? Like what do you want your brand to represent and is it going to help you attract future customers? And so I think in that sense, if partnering with the likes of a big tech company or, or a high street bank is going to help you in the long run, then yes, I think there's a halo effect there. But, but I don't think it's necessary. I mean, for many years, uh, for example, Plaid was, we didn't really do marketing. We were sort of under the scenes, powering a lot of different fintechs, and that proved very successful to us. Um, So I don't think you necessarily have to focus only on brand and having that be the halo here. I think the the interesting thing to think about on the tech side is, I think this is where you're starting to see the uh, emergence of partnerships for embedded finance. So it's choosing specific aspects of financial services and embedding those into applications where there are already a big user base to offer something specific. I do think you're going to start to see that more and more. I think it's different than necessarily trying to compete with full stack banking there, but it's you know, if I'm an Uber driver, do I want to be able to get my payday two days early? Can I offer that in the application? And there's probably a partnership power in that. I think you're going to see more and more of those types of examples start to pop up where it's little pieces of financial services directed at specific niches that are going to start showing up in applications all over the place.
1: Yeah, I think that the, the, the Stripe Goldman uh, account opening partnership on a on a, obviously on a, a much larger scale is is a, a very big version and example of that, um, which is pretty cool. Victoria, you got a thought on it?
3: Yeah, I just going to say it's um it almost feels like it's sort of portioning up the different bits of uh, of banking and um the so I suppose the larger tech companies are sort of they've helped with the infrastructure and the move to cloud and now they're sort of coming up towards the sort of more consumer experience but uh, it's interesting that they haven't tried to sort of tackle the uh, regulation around capital requirements and things there that, that's the sort of the, the final piece of the jigsaw I suppose but um, it looks at the moment as though they're all shying away from uh, from that probably with good reason
1: yeah I think with good re- I mean I did uh, read a stat and I can't Verify this, uh, and it was a couple of years ago. But I think Microsoft was saying that their exposure to banks meant um, that their revenue that they took from their cloud provision was like billion, like like above ten billion. It was absolutely, and this was just in FS. It was absolutely outstanding the amount of revenue they were making worldwide from cloud provisioning, uh, their Azure cl- uh, cloud provisioning for financial services. And they sort of took took a decision internally to be like, well, actually, why would we cannibalize that revenue by going against the banks when actually we're making so much more from you know supporting them. In cloud and Jason, that goes back to your original point that you made, and I think that's that's a, an interesting way of looking at it. But then, from a regulatory perspective, you know, if you're making that much revenue anyway, why would you want to compromise that by owning so much of the bank? If you like that, um, you know, you'd turn. I don't. In a personal, uh, from a personal perspective, I'd almost think that the regulators would um, would start looking probably too hard around your cloud provisioning and, and things of that nature, which is just such a catch cow. Why would they bother?
3: I don't know. Does anyone else have a, a thought on that? I suppose it's risk reward at that point, isn't it? If you're if you're already <laughs> reaping the
1: reward, why would you sort of take on the extra risk? Uh, this is true. <laughs> this is very true. Um,
2: but I think I think you know and and. and it's it's almost two sides of the coin. You, know, you mentioned at the top of the show, you said you know for retail customers, you're seeing a grab in Asia. You know the uh, you know building out this super app. Uh, I think actually behind the scenes, what you're starting to see actually is these guys think about how they can build out their own super app offering, which is a whole bunch of constituent parts which they can then you know take to a bank and say, right, you know here's the one thing you only have to integrate once, pay once, all those simple synergies. But actually, off the back of that, you get you get these whole variety of things. Um, so I think it's a uh, you know. Um, banking as a service and um, the direct consumer stuff you know they're seeing um, very similar um, themes emerging for sure
1: cool um, I just wanted to touch a little bit on MA's before um, before we move on uh, from an M a perspective Keith um, I'll probably look at you yourself not not suggesting uh, well obviously with <laughs> I don't know how much you can talk about it at the moment and I don't know if it's still rumbling on but obviously the um, the visa plaid uh, M a which happened God, when was it? Now was it? It was uh, so early last almost year. Almost
4: a year ago, yeah, January almost a year of last ago. year. Yeah.
1: Um, we've also seen SoFi, Galileo, American Express, Cabbage, PNC, BBVA, which was quite a big one. Um, for for you, uh, and I wanted to ask you one specific question, which is: we've only seen one example of a neobank uh, by an existing uh, financial services player, uh, which was Lending Club. Uh, Acquiring Radius Bank uh, last year, which made a big splash, I remember on Bloomberg and sort of all sort of you know the tabloids and the and the broadsheets all picked it up. It was quite the story. Do you, do you think there's going to be more of that this year? Because I, I know a lot of uh, FS commentators are talking about how neo banks are going to be worth more, certainly from a, uh, on a paper perspective than than the incumbents. And therefore, do you do you think they'll use that leverage to 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 buy an incumbent?
4: That's a great question. I don't know if I'd say we'll see more of it, but I think it's important also to differentiate that. I think you'll see more of this in certain jurisdictions. Right. So it's been, for example, the U.S. is well known that it's been really painful to get a banking license. And so the ones that already have a banking license, there's this whole different class of banks that basically offer services as a, you know, I have a banking license you want to build services on top of it. And most fintechs are using some form of that relationship to, to grow. I can definitely see value in an M&A type of relationship there where you're acquiring an entity that has a license and, and that comes with it. Um, I think the bigger thing, though, when you're trying to decide between partnership and MA is it, what is the depth of integration needed? Is there a speed factor here? Because I think M&A is basically what you need to do if you say, I could build this myself, like your JPM example, but it might take me five years to build it. And I want to launch this this year. And then the question between partner and m there is, what's the depth of integration I need between the teams and the brands to make that happen? I think that's the bigger question here is, is there value? Does that equation lead to it makes more sense to do MA here versus a deep partnership?
1: Yeah, it's a good shout. Um, we're just going to take a quick pause, by the way, um, to hear from our sponsors for this episode, and we'll be back right after this.
0: This episode is brought to you by Jack Henry Digital, the pioneers of personal digital banking. They are reviving the vision of financial institutions being on a first-name basis with customers by offering a platform for personal, human-centered service that puts the customer first. Your customers experience immediate accessibility, while your employees get cloud-based, core-connected tools to offer service at the moment of need. To learn more, explore the team's latest insights at jackhenrydigital.com. This episode is also brought to you by MyTech. Digital Identity Verification trusted the world over. Secure more high-value customers while reducing risk and costs with MyTech, a global leader and enterprise partner in identity verification technology. Create certainty in today's digital world with MyTech.
1: Thanks, and on with the show. Um, I wanted to talk, Victoria, I'll probably come to you if I can, a little bit about the competitiveness of um, the UK from a partnerships perspective, given uh, the B word, the Brexit word. Uh, it's now happened. Uh, this is my first show since it's happened, so uh, I can say it something of the past rather than the future, which is very strange. Um, I think for, from your perspective, do, do you feel, um, again, from a macro, macro level, that Brexit will have an effect on uh, European global fintech partnerships with the UK uh, and? And um, what would be your reasoning behind that?
3: um oh Brexit's a good one although I believe the technical term is the uh, end of the UK transition period but uh, that doesn't seem to be quite as uh, quite as catchy so I can see why it didn't uh, didn't take off um where are we on uh, UK competitiveness um I think there are so many strengths that the UK ecosystem still has that you know they won't be changed overnight by our um our, our relationship with um with the EU um you know we've uh we've got such a we've got such a talent base we've got such a progressive regulatory um, environment and so many of these things have um, have sort of shaped the, the global landscape as well as just the European landscape. If you look at things like the FCA sandbox and the UK's role in establishing the global fintech innovation network. So um, I think there's a, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of foundation still to to build on. And of course, just because we're not in the club doesn't mean that we can't talk to our European friends and neighbours anymore um, as well. Um, I think as partnerships go it'll be quite interesting to see whether a sort of partnership route starts to be um a uh, a sort of immediate solution to where there may be now new constraints around market access so i think that's quite an interesting one um like keith was sort of saying you're know, borrowing the sort of american um banking license will will fintech start to do that to uh, enter european markets in the short to medium term uh, uh who knows but that's certainly uh, one to watch i should think
1: yeah i was going to ask Keith. Keith and Jason, have you got, um, I mean, I know we're only about two weeks into this, uh, so it is very early doors, but is, is anything, <laughs> has anything changed? Has anything moved? <laughs> um, I was just wondering if, if your lives have been thrown upside down uh, by what happened. I, I'm, I'm gathering not. But has is, is anything anything uh, changed from a process perspective? Um, because it is interesting, actually, I've got friends of mine who distribute products abroad. Uh, and instantaneously, you've got the corporation tax now that people have to pay if they're in the EU to buy products from the UK. There's some websites, obviously, that just aren't shipping, a goods to the UK from either the states or uh, from a retail perspective. So, from a product standpoint, uh, it's definitely had an effect even now. Uh, and there's obviously all the disturbances and everything that's going on uh, on the border with France, which I think has now been resolved. But, but from from your your perspective, from a services perspective, has anything changed? You know, over the last two weeks.
4: So, I I wouldn't say over the last two weeks necessarily, but I think the biggest thing for us is we obviously had to get backup licenses in the EU to be able to operate. I think a lot of organizations, depending on where you are in financial services, have had to go through that same process, right? And oftentimes that comes with needing extra staff and different offices and all the the requirements around that. So there's definitely been a, a little bit of a layer of bureaucracy that comes with that. The trade off on the other side, though, and what I'm really excited to see where the UK takes this is, now you can do sort of smart divergence. So what I mean by that is, are there aspects of financial services law that the UK would like to change to make it easier to operate as a certain type of fintech or company or change the rules? And you're already starting to see some of those come through. So I think there's pros and cons to all of this. And it's going to take years before you see whether it was a net benefit or a net loss for the UK. But I think as you start to see the smart divergence take off in this year and changes to the legislation in the UK specifically, you'll start to see some of the benefits around this as well
1: that's interesting and J- jason I'm, I'm i'm interested to get your thoughts as well
2: yeah no look tsb are very lucky here right we're a uk only bank we um, um don't have any international operations so um apart from making sure that all of our cross border payments continue to go through uh on the 1st of january and the following days we've uh, we've, uh, we've had no impact whatsoever so far
1: and do you see uh, i guess from a um up from a partnerships perspective in particular, um, is there anything? Do you think this will make it easy? I mean, I know, uh, Keith, you're talking about um, the potential competitiveness of the UK. A lot of that probably depends on. Uh, you know the legislators getting their hand on that law, and uh, and I know there's, it's it's been relatively well they've left it relatively ambiguous in terms of what the impact is for the FS industry and services industry in the agreement. Which actually I know a lot of people are sort of saying is a bad thing, but it could be a good thing. Um, you know the ambiguity might, might might lead people you know in in a short space of time to actually get hold of it. People who who might know this this industry better. Um, I I just wondered whether you think it's going to sort of make us more competitive, make people might want to do more partnerships with us, and maybe. You know, look at the UK as maybe Singapore is in, in in some respects, which is like a test bed for a lot of different POCs and fintechs to then to to have a base and then you know broaden out from.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to sort of agree with agree with Keith's comment. And my my only view on this is that you know I think we've you know thanks to the likes of Tech Nation and others, we've got such a wealth of innovation and fintechs locally first that actually, you know. I, we've almost hit, not got to the stage yet where perhaps I, I at least have had to look overseas to understand. You know who's out there that could potentially fill a, a customer or, or, or business need. Um, we have we have to meet. So um, you know, in terms of whether it makes partnering easier, I, I think I think. time time will tell um but um you know to to, to go back and plug the fintech pledge we you know we were focused on making it super easy to partner with uh with um with with new companies down the road at the moment
1: jason i wanted to ask you uh i I guess a bit more of a strategic question um if, if you look at uh TSB in particular but obviously you know incumbents in general and you look at the next three to five to ten years um, is, are there areas of the bank that uh, you will or you foresee you'll continue to partner with and is there areas of the bank that maybe uh, you won't and you want to bring more in-house and is there a, a, um, a I guess a, a percentage split on that and I guess what what is the strategy and, and the influences on that
2: yeah, good question. So, look, so I think core services, so core banking, I think, you know, we have a obligation to the customers and to the regulator to keep it as much of it in-house as possible so we can provide a, you know, resilient, secure service that, um, you know, that customers would expect. I think externally, and I think the pandemic, I think... Um, raises some interesting questions here. So in a super low interest env- rate environment, you know, you, banks need to look for other ways to um, grow their income and customers have demands associated with that. So actually in some of those um, more external areas, such as, you know, bill switching, um, other areas that we've talked about, you, I think you're going to see more partnerships in there because actually what, what banks will do is they'll start to create new revenue streams and offer new propositions to customers that I think, you know, will help to, you um, perhaps make up some of that gap that we might we might have seen as a result of the low interest rates
1: cool um thanks very much um that's going to conclude the discussion for today thanks so much for you guys for joining me it's much much appreciated um uh what i'm just going to do now which we normally do is we just go around everyone uh where, where if somebody is listening to the show and they want to get in contact with you uh what's the best way of doing so uh victoria do you want to do you want to start first
3: Well, thanks for having me on the discussion today. Uh, Adam, if you want to find out more about Tech Nation, you can find us on at Tech Nation at Twitter. And uh, for fintech and some probably quite feminist tweets, you can follow me at PolicyVix.
4: Cool.
1: Uh, Keith, uh, how about yourself?
4: Uh, Yeah, again, thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, You can find me at Plaid.com and and reach out to the Plaid team there. And then for me uh, personally on Twitter, I'm KM Gross. um, So at KM Gross at Twitter.
2: Like I follow you as banks. well. I think
1: so. What? <laughs> um, and Jason, what about yourself?
2: Yeah, yeah. Look, reiterate, great. Thanks for having me. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed it. So look, um really keen to um, hear from um, people on here who've got some properties that might, that might be able to help the bank. So um, reach out to me on LinkedIn um, if, you, if you've got something in that space. Uh, and then Twitter is just um, at Jason WB.
1: Cool. And uh, you can find me at Adam D 8 on Twitter and Adam Davis, obviously, on LinkedIn. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, um, please subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. Uh, It helps to make it better and helps others find the show. Uh, As always, if you want to join the conversation, uh, find us on social media, just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or or email uh, podcast at 11FS.com. Thanks very much uh, and goodbye.